Tony, it's always good talking with you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Buzz. Yeah, uh, I always appreciate when you guys have me on. Well, you were the very first guest on our very first podcast. That was, what, 126 podcasts ago. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> what, year, what year was that? How long has this been going on? That's a good question, but we basically do an Every Friday at 6 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. So 126, that's 52 times that's 104. So that would have been, <laughs> um, what, November of 2018? 18, yeah, okay. Wow, yeah. So welcome back. This is good. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I certainly haven't been sending any FKTs lately, but yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to figure out what you have been doing. So I'm going to back up here. A little bit and catch the folks up that I'm talking with Anton Krupichka. You're a very well-known person, and uh, you. I'm just going to. I'm just going to kind of do the top level of Anton Krupichka here. You were the so-called apostle of minimalism at one point in time, two-time winner of the Leadville Trail 100, and you've been to Speed Goat. You've been to Miwok. You've won all those, and then. Uh, really one of the movers and shakers of the sport like you and kyle helped develop the new balance shoes those really like the 100s the mt 101s which yeah i think i bought a couple of pairs i like them so much and archived them and uh for the last four years maybe five you've been sponsored by la sportiva yep. as well as ultimate direction where of course i was where you and i worked together there quite a bit and just to kind of Keep moving along. Your last race was, uh, wow, almost <laughs> to the day, six years ago to the day, Crans Gran Canaria in Spain. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we're recording this on March 3rd, and that was March 6, 2015. So at yeah. about that time, you started suffering some injuries. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, yeah, coming off of that race. Uh, I ended up getting a stress fracture in my tibia that spring, um, which was a huge catalyst actually for kind of what I'm up to these days, I guess, because I remember, um, <laughs> it's really funny, you know, we have a mutual friend, Bill Wright here in Boulder. Yes. Uh, I had, uh, gone out to do some top rope soloing, you know, with like micro tractions, um, sometime that spring just because I didn't have a climbing partner lined up. And I, I'd been climbing for a number of years, but just not very regularly. And Bill had done the same thing working on some like sport climb project in the flat irons. And I was like, Oh, Hey, like I was, you know, just doing the same thing last week. And Bill like wrote back, it's like, we should climb together sometime. And that summer we ended up climbing at least once a week from April until like October. And, uh, as a result of that, Bill basically taught me how to be a climber, you know, how to be safe, efficient, competent, uh, cover ground quickly, uh, you know, lead efficiently, all those things, rope systems, basically the tactics that, uh, you know, everyone that I climb with now, it's kind of like the same tactics everyone uses. There's a lot of simul climbing going on. There's not a lot of uh, standing around, it's uh, it's kind of taking the um, continuous movement ethic 
of like running or scrambling, but applying it to the vertical world of, of uh, you know, technical rock climbing. And, and that was something that had always like frustrated me with rock climbing. It was how much it's slow. It's slow. You're standing <laughs> around. You're not, you're not doing much a lot of the time. And coming from the world, you know, I've been a runner for 26 years uh, of endurance based sport. It didn't make a lot of sense to me until I climbed regular, basically got, you know, the crash course and, uh, competency from bill about oh you can go to eldo and actually do something uh before work you know do something significant you can do a six seven pitch route you know in just a couple of hours um and then go spend the rest of the day doing something else whereas before up until then i would go do something you're like just you're just grinding yeah it would take me all day to do yellow spur you know and now it takes an hour so <laughs> um i don't know it's so anyways that that's that was something that was a direct result of getting a stress fracture in my tibia that, you know, six years ago, that spring. Yeah. Excellent. Climbing, climb, you, you are a multi-sport guy. We're going to talk about the other sports. So climbing is a big one of them. And of course, you and I went up the third flat iron to get, kind of got you introduced to scrambling. And in the written show notes, I'm going to link to our podcast with Bill Wright. So sure. what better instructor could you, or mentor could you have had? Bill Wright co-wrote the book Speed Climbing with Hans Florine, who held the speed record on the nose on El Capitan for many years. So Bill's the, about the best mentor you could have. Yeah, for sure. And he's, he's just of that mind. You know, he's no nonsense. He's, he's an engineer. So he's very, yeah, it's do things efficiently. Well, a number of years before that, Bill and I had done 50 pitches in Eldo in a day. Right. The yeah. Same ilk. So good for you. So you transitioned from ultra running into rock climbing. Well, I mean, that was, yeah, that year. <laughs> it, it's like because I had a stress fracture and couldn't run. Uh, I mean, two things happened that summer. Like I, I started biking a lot and I started climbing a lot. And the, those, I wouldn't say like, in the past six years, I've never been like, oh, I'm not a runner anymore. But have not being able to run consistently uh, as I was able to for the previous 20 years, say, um, made it so that there was I had more space, more energy to pursue these other things that I'd always wanted to pursue. And the, having the background in running, I guess, gave me the, I don't know, confidence and just the uh, the base of mountain experience to be able to do these other things, uh, to ramp them up quickly, I guess. Right. Well, you ramped them up very quickly, <laughs> very quickly. I mean, after we went up the third, you, you just like did it like, you know, four times in the next couple of days, I think. <laughs> well, and, you do. Yeah. You, you get exposed to a new experience and you, and I, at least for me, like I get very excited and I want, I want to master it to a certain degree, you know, mm. and with scrambling, you know, talking about the third flat iron, uh, the only way to get better at that is to amass mileage, I would say. But yeah, that's true. And the bike, same thing. I remember discussing with you the you said, "Well, you don't want to get a carbon fiber bike." So, no, no, really, you want to get a carbon fiber bike. <laughs> I remember these only. I, I, I know, I do too. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I remember at the. It's funny because it's come back around to where I have I have several bikes now, and only one of them is carbon fiber, and the other are all steel. Um, and it's. I don't know. It's because for me, like I was never going to be a pro cyclist. I will never be a pro cyclist. Um, so riding a bike has always been much more, I guess, I don't know. I, this is funny because I don't really, 
I don't really identify as any of these things anymore, mm. which is the same as saying as that you identify as all of them, I guess. Uh, you know, be that being a runner, a cyclist, a climber, a skier. Um, it's just, it's all the same to me. It's all just like you're going outside, you're moving your body, you're interacting with your surroundings in an intentional and engaged manner. Um, and you're having this like pure experience. And so the label of the other, everything else about it is sort of incidental, whether you're on skis or a bike or running shoes or have a, a, a climbing rack. It's, I don't know. It's all the same thing. I like it. <laughs> right. Uh, no, that makes perfect sense to me because I, I, I've often been you know, a runner. People know me as a runner. People know you as a runner. I don't really consider myself a runner. I consider myself an adventurer. So I relate to what you're saying there. I like that. And I think you're probably still best known as a runner, but wow, your skiing, climbing and cycling has been outstanding. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely of all those things. Running is the only one that uh, I've ever been world-class at and never will be world-class at. Like I don't have, maybe I'm just getting too old now, but there's the, the curve of improvement on these other things is I'm very intermediate at all of them, you know, and, and getting to the expert level on any of them is a huge amount of commitment that I don't possess, I guess. Um, like I'm a, I'm a very mediocre climber, very mediocre skier. I'm a very mediocre cyclist, but I like doing all of them. Um, and often like combining them, you can do interesting things or just applying the same principles to them that I always apply to my running, of you know, pushing the envelope a little bit, kind of going big makes it exciting and fun. Well, of course you and Stefan Grable, another friend of Bill Wright's did the Long's Peak project. Uh, I should not the project, the Long's Peak triathlon. I'm going to put a link to that in the written show notes so people can look that up. A very good video on that. And that's a classic example because you two biked 44 miles to the trailhead and you hiked, ran up to the base of the diamond and you climbed the casual route, which is not a casual route at all at 510 at 14,000 feet and turned around, ran back down and biked back down to Boulder. So that's an excellent example of putting them all together. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, something like that is, it's kind of just a silly backyard game, but it's the, there's something I find very satisfying about combining disciplines and all the moving parts and all the logistics and planning you have to do to make it all work well. And having at least the basic level competency in all those disciplines and able to pull it off. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. I like the way you said you don't identify with being a runner. You're just, it's a pure experience. You're having an experience. You're moving outdoors in the mountains and something I might note, although you say you're mediocre in a certain sense, but you are still an endurance monster. I mean, there's up yeah, to I mean, 5,000 people who follow you on Strava. They can vouch for that. I mean, you go out there on these really long days on a regular basis. Yeah, if, I'm, I don't know. I think that's the only kind of above average skill, <laughs> if, you can, if you can call it that, that I've ever had, though. You know, is, okay, note to uh, listeners, it's a, it's a lot more than above average, but go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. I don't know. I get, but it's just that it's more a function of being excited about what I'm doing. And so therefore doing it a lot and yeah, getting, yeah, 
building stamina. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, exhibiting stamina, we could say. Sure. Because yeah, like yeah. you say, there's people who can knock down 513s. You yeah, know, we're, we're, <laughs> you're wearing uh, sticky rubber sandals, but uh, you can go out there and just do it over and over and over again. You you bike to El Dorado Canyon State Park to do your climbs. And then in January, where it's a little cold here, you're doing 100-mile rides up on the peak-to-peak highway. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was – so this year has been a little different. Uh, I guess just about a month ago, uh, I was down in the Grand Canyon. Um, and did a double crossing, which had been something I'd been building towards since fall, I guess, uh, just because my body was feeling good. The running was going well. And I was like, oh, this is this build seems to be working. I want to be able to do something that has some meaning to it, you know, like do, do a long, and like since racing isn't really happening right now, whatever. Um, so I, I went down to double crossing the Grand Canyon and uh, it went great. But then I had to take a couple three weeks. I was like, well, I want to like take some time now so that I can like build then again through the spring for the summer. Uh, because I don't know my body anymore. I can't just like keep after like a three or four month block of, uh, say, I don't know, running training. I definitely need a break and then have to start over again. Otherwise I'll just get injured. And, uh, so anyways, what you're referring to with hundred mile bike rides is I was taking a couple three weeks where I wasn't running at all anymore. And, um, I don't know. And other things were coming into my mind. I get excited about the prospect of, uh, some of these longer bike packing races. Um, mostly because biking is so much more predictably sustainable for me than right. running. Right. Like, like I, I just know that I'll be able to bike, you know, into my sixties, hopefully my seventies, whatever. Um, I'm not really going to get injured from it. And so it's really easy to get excited about pursuing objectives that are biking focused, you know? And, um, Wow. So I don't know. So over the past few weeks, those types of things have been going through my head. So I was increasing the biking mileage, basically. But yeah, well, a good point about the bike. As long as you don't get killed by a car, you're not going to get injured. I mean, that's that's, that's definitely that's the, the crux of biking. That's totally the deal. Yeah, it's and it's terrifying. And that's the thing about this time of year that's terrifying is because in the winter you're kind of forced onto the paved roads more, and um, so you're exposed to traffic a little more. But uh, it's the exact opposite of running. Yeah, yeah. Basically, if you're running, you're guaranteed to get injured. You're going to get a little weird injury no matter what, no matter if you get a massage every 10 minutes or not. While biking, since there's no impact, you're probably not. But running, you know, the worst that's going to happen is you might sprain your ankle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, pull a Dave Mackey or something. But, um, (laughs) I mean, you know, have a freak accident occur where, you know, it's catastrophic. But with a bike, I mean, it's – yeah, drivers, are, but it's why I don't, it's, I don't know. It's why I don't have any bikes that are any narrower than 40 mil tires anymore. <laughs> did you sell your Amanda? Oh, uh, well, I had a, I, I had a Madone um, and I did sell it. Yeah. Yeah. But I have, I have a carbon, um, I have a carbon fiber gravel bike now that's the same as a road bike, but I just, I never have any less than a 40 mil tire on it. Cause I just, I just don't. I'm never prioritizing pavement. I always want to be off off road somewhere. Well, we're, this is this is tricky. This is a tricky podcast because you're opening all these topics. We got okay, this, sorry. This, this, and that is like wow, that's really interesting. Well, I'm just gonna back up if we could. So your time in rim to rim to rim in January was really good. 
I mean, this, oh, I don't thanks. think yeah. people noticed that was an outstanding time. But well, so it's, you, it's equivalent to like the women's FKT now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so it would have been an FKT when I first got in the first time uh, that I ran the Grand Canyon. Gosh, what was that? 12 years ago, 13 years ago. But uh, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> well, Jim just locked that one down. Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean, Jim just nailed it. Everyone, sure. no, no one else is trying for it anymore. Is kind of what happened there. I mean, he's he's the best in the game right now. That's all there is. But yeah. But what remind me of your time on rim to rim to rim? Oh, uh, it's like seven and a half hours. That's seven, outstanding. Seven thirty. Yeah. So That's, thanks. It, yeah, it was. I don't know. It, but the thing about it was, I didn't. It was just a run, you know. I just went out and went for a long run. It wasn't like trying to go hard or anything. So yeah. Well, seven seven and a half on that is outstanding. And but then you did not get an injury after that you just conscientiously backed off to restart your running training block is that what i'm hearing yeah because i was like what am i what am i pointing towards here you know like what is what am i building towards and it's like well the only thing i care about in running in the near future is wouldn't be until like june anyways and it's january what can i i want to stay healthy buzz yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> so so yeah i took most of February, I was I was mostly on the bike, um, and then uh, yeah, I've been running the past at least ten days now. I don't know. I ran thirteen miles yesterday morning, so yeah. And it's been a weird ski season. Speaking of multi sport, so yeah. biking was biking in Colorado in January was pretty good. February is cold, but skiing, you know, well, I forgot how many people have died in avalanches so far this year. Yeah, it's no, it's been a horrific ski season in that regard. Uh, for me, it, it's the reason that skiing has been on the back burner is twofold. One, there's been no schema race season. Um, and two, so that, that's always just kind of like a built-in motivator to like get on skis and like make it a priority so that you're like, you know, up to speed for the races. But then two, uh, it was, but it was a really late winter, uh, local conditions in the front range. I'd never seen it that dry. It took until January for to not be hitting rocks and stuff here on the front range. Um, and then three, because like the lack of snow and such weird snowpack, the avalanche conditions, the last few weeks have been absolutely horrifying. Um, you know, super tragic. I, I can't even tell you it's close to a dozen people have died in avalanches over the past couple months. Um, so it's just been touchy. I mean, there's skiing to be done out there. If you, if you want to do it, like there's plenty of like low angle, powder runs to do and stuff but especially when you it's been so dry here in boulder on the front range it's much more conducive to running climbing and biking so i don't know that's right yeah it's just hard to get motivated to drive to ski i guess is right problem. i agree I, I it's hard to get motivated to drive to do anything yeah, yeah i mean i don't want to go to the grocery store and i don't want to get in the car <laughs> period i have to totally yeah um it's a quick aside there one thing I've noticed on the Avi deaths this year, they're all experienced people. Yeah. So, so somehow you think, oh, it's the inexperienced people. They need to take an Avi course. They need to do this, this, that. No, 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 no. It's not how it's working. The experienced people, the ones who are getting caught and dying, which is not really a good look. It's like, no. hmm, you guys, hmm, might want to rethink this. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are very experienced, and we're talking about this and it just comes down to the conditions being so atypical and so uh not intuitive in terms of snow science and avalanche danger and 
yeah, it's scary stuff. So I don't know. There's other stuff I like to do too. So I just haven't been motivated to make the skiing happen as much. I've been skiing probably a dozen times this winter, but yeah, usually at this point, I would have skied 50 days already, you know, so. Nice, nice. Well, let's drill into some of these sports a little bit more. You mentioned in terms of running nothing until June. What's happening in June, may I ask? Well, <laughs> June is the usual thing. That's just when the high country opens up. You know, ah. that's just that's just when alpine running becomes a thing again. And uh, that's, yeah, there's always something in the back of my mind of, what I want to be doing with healthy running legs at that point in time. Um, but I don't know, for me, I would say, um, the main motivating, the thing that gets me the most excited right now are, uh, is a bike tour that involves mountaineering. Um, so just linking up mountain ranges or peaks within a range, uh, so like self-powered, uh, so, biking between mountains, running up and down them and on to the next one. Did um, you know that Justin Simone is writing a book on that topic? Yeah. He, he's been working on a guide, I think for like, like bike packing the 14ers basically. That's right? exactly what it is. Yeah. Literally yeah, yeah. bike packing for 14ers is the book he's working on. I can't, I can't imagine there's a giant like, <laughs> uh, readership base for that, but uh, I find it, I find it extremely, I was just on his website the other day because I was looking at his two or 14ers. Uh, you know, he, I think he did six or seven years ago now. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, the, the tour to 14ers is something, I think it's a, an absolute classic and something that I would totally love to do at some point. I don't know if it'll be this summer or not. I'd be that, excited. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's huge. So just for, we know what this is, but before we zoom ahead of some of our listeners, the tour of the 14ers is the self-propelled climbing all the Colorado 14ers. So the first time it was done in one year by, with cars was considered an amazing accomplishment. Then someone did it in the 54 days, which is the number of 14ers they are. Mm-hmm. And then Rick and Ricky got going on it. Rick Trujillo and Ricky Denisic really took it down from 12, you know, 11. And then the so-called king of the 14ers, Andrew Hamilton, took it down again. But then it, it kind of shifted gears because it became such a logistical battle. You know, it's just yeah, you're, you have you have a support, yeah. yeah, multiple and, support crews and cars, and it just becomes this sleep deprivation thing. And I don't right. know, it's kind of silly. It gets gets a little odd, but self-propelled, which Andrew Hamilton did, starting at his home in Lyons, was that's that's nuts. You know, you, you get on the bike and you ride to the base of all 54, depending on how many you're counting at the moment, mountains, climb them and bike to the next one, then bike back home. And then Simone did it without support. Yeah, I think self-supported is the style that A, makes the most sense and B, is the most inspiring for me personally, because it's a lot to ask for anyone else's help on any of this <laughs> like it's this selfish pursuit but it's also i don't know when you when you go out to like you said you know that's just nuts to go on and attempt something like this it's like well you're out there because you're searching for a certain experience i would say um or you're trying to embody a certain lifestyle or kind mm-hmm. of lock into a certain way of being and that way of being for me doesn't make any sense if you're having someone else support you the whole way um it's about doing it yourself being self-powered um you know availing yourself of public services obviously uh 
but it's just having this experience where you're intimately engaged with your surroundings and um I don't know, doing something that's going to challenge you in every aspect, <laughs> right? You know, f- physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, yeah. I don't Good know. Those are, those are, yeah, those are just rare. Like that doesn't happen. You have to, it, you have to set it up for that to happen. Those things don't happen in day to day life. Like you can live your whole life without being too challenged on any front. Um, if you want, you know, just keep cruising comfortably. But, what are we, what are we doing then? You know, like, what are we here for? I don't know. <laughs> good point. Of course, your good friend, Joe Grant did that. And yeah, he had yeah. same emphasis on style. I mean, Joe's emphasis on style was quite pronounced with his leather Brooks Brothers saddle. <laughs> but yeah, I like that. You have to set it up. Yeah. It's, if you, it has to it's be. It's not about the number. Idea. Basically, if you're going for the number, go support it. Right. Totally. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not about, obviously there's going to be uh, a time, a fastest time, I guess. And that's, that's interesting for me. That's interesting only because it's another parameter that uh, enforces a style, you know, like if I'm out there just cruising, it's not going to be as intense or challenging or engaging of an experience as if, I'm trying to do it as quickly as I can. Does that make sense? Yes. And it has nothing to do with what the overall time is in the end. It's just like what kind of focus and intention I had along the way. And I don't know, your focus is sharpened when you're trying to do it your best. And it's like, oh gosh, there's so many different analogies, but there's a difference between like going for a, a walk. Like I hate hiking. <laughs> I, I hate going for like I've never just gone for a hike. Like that's it's this weird middle ground that makes no sense to me. Like like a nice little evening walk, that's great, you know. Um, you know, like the sun setting, it's nice cool breeze out, whatever, just like enjoying your neighborhood, you know. Going for a run where there's like this heightened engagement, there's this heightened uh physical effort, mental focus. Um you just you're just forced to be a little more engaged with your surroundings. That makes sense to me. So, if you increase the intensity, that makes sense. Or if you're just like purely out there, just leisure, that makes sense. But the in between of like, let's go for a hike. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what that is. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> so, it's like being know. a cowboy without a horse. Something. It's yeah. It, it's just like, what are we doing out here? <laughs> and it doesn't. The experience. The experience just isn't as impactful. It's not as. It doesn't feel as meaningful as as uh, when you increase the intensity, the focus is also increased. You know, John Muir didn't like to go for hikes either, by the way. Oh, really? I, yeah. I, I don't know much about John Muir. But well, you know, this wouldn't be a bad source of reading material, but he called it sauntering. To saunter was what he wanted to do, which is coming from santer, saint. Okay. To be a yeah. saint on earth. So it's like a holy walk. So he liked the term sauntering more than hiking. Huh. Yeah. I don't know if I identify with that. It's, it's more, I guess I'm just pushing it back against people who are like, Oh, why don't you slow down and smell the roses? It's (laughs) like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just smelling the roses in a different way. It's if I were moving so slowly as to quote unquote, smell the roses, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be as meaningful and impactful an experience for me. Gotcha. So, okay. 
Well, this is good stuff. Man, each time, each each sentence opens up a whole chapter. We could uh, talk here for hours, as we tend to do, but we'll try to stay a little more focused with this following question. You mentioned combining cycling and mountaineering. And of course, I suggested you a particular route that's never been done. Are you Do you recall what I'm referring to? I think so. Probably, probably linking um, the Grand Teton and Gannett Peak. G2. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that one's super compelling. Uh, that one only makes sense to me if you do it single push, obviously there's just a lot of stuff to be done out there, buzz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like there's, I could spend a whole summer in Wyoming. I don't know. Maybe I will. Um, it's just, yeah, there's, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great one. Uh, it seems very logical. Like the peaks are 100, 110 miles apart. Um, they're both very, very classic. Yep. Makes sense. Yep. Yep. Well, you heard it here first on the fastest known podcast, folks. We'll see what happens. Well, that's I don't know that 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 particular objective raises a certain question for me is like, I don't know, I feel like everything we do outside could be considered contrived in some way or like sort of just constructed in like, what's the point? We're just like making up these games. But that one, there's like a symmetry and a logic to it that at least makes sense to me. It's like you have this highest peak in this one range, highest peak in this other range. They're very near each other, both iconic. It would make sense to link them under human power. I don't know, but okay. All right. Maybe it just takes a certain mindset. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course we see all these things, routes get submitted. We've had about oh, right. eight submitted from Malaysia this past couple of months. The UK is on fire a lot coming in from there. And we're we're playing with the boundary of what should be an FKT route and what should not be. Because we're not Strava. Strava is terrific. You and I use it. We all use it. But we're fastest known times is something else entirely. This is an archive database of the best routes. And so like you say, you want it to have some meaning, some logic, some symmetry to it. And interestingly enough, as you know very well, climbers have always seen that, haven't they? Climbers have strong, strong stylistic sense. You see it in the writing. You see it in the photography. While running, oh, running writing is not very good. And running movies are a little difficult, at least for me. And so to try to bring a sense of style to the sport of running is a little bit of a push. It is. It's tough. That's. It's funny you say that. Um, I can't put my finger on what the difference is, uh, because running has all the elements. You should should be able to. You should be able to. Um, <laughs> it's because yeah, like you said. But there's climbing. I guess climbing comes down all like purely to style, because you know most anything can be climbed with you know, all kinds yeah, yeah. All kinds of mechanical aid. But so then the style becomes important. And when you're looking at a, a peak, you're like, Oh, that is you, like ascending that Ridge. That makes the most sense because it's the striking line on the mountain. And, and it's not, I don't know. It's like the whole thing, the whole pursuit is much more artistic than I think because running the way people are exposed to running is, uh, running around a track when you grow up, you know, in, in school and it's very like hard objective numbers. And that's kind of the whole point. It's like, it's the standardized oval, uh, there's a start and finish line. There's a stopwatch. It says, 
it's as objective as sport can possibly get really. So it's tough to like, if you come up in that world to break out of that, I think, and, and, and come at it with a little more sense of the aesthetic and, and the style and the art of it, I guess. Wow. Good point. Because it is interesting because as everyone listening to this knows as experienced themselves, probably there is a distinct spirituality to running. And we, yeah. we, all, we all felt this. We all know it. It doesn't tend to translate so well into the literature or the culture around it. But internally, it's very strong. It's very prevalent. We just don't communicate it among ourselves that well. Yeah, I agree. But I, and I think I think probably part of the reason that it's not communicated well is because it is so ineffable. It's it's one of those. Uh, I don't know. You start you start feeling like airy fairy and a bit silly, but I feel like I've had some transcendental moments while running, and how are you, and the and like what defines a moment like that is the fact that you can't relate it to to anyone else. Like you can't, it's so hard to describe to somebody, you know, like because once you're able to describe it, and once you're, and if you were able to describe it and relate it and connect it to someone else. Uh, then it loses that that mystical quality, I think, and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be transcendental anymore. I don't know. Wow. It's a it's that's a weird bad. space. That's I don't solid. know. I like yeah, it. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, I'm not sure if that's exactly what I mean, but it's there's something that's so like elemental and pure about running. It's unfettered by material stuff, you know. Like all these other sports require like a lot of gear, you know. But running is just it's very pure. It's just you like on the trail. Um, so yeah, it really lends itself to that. Lao Tzu agreed with you completely, by the way. Say it one more time. Lao Tzu. Oh, Lao Tzu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in complete agreement. His quote was, the Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. Okay. Hmm. The Hopi, interestingly enough, are in this as well, too. Hopi of, of course, uh, Four Corners area, sure. uh, an, an extraordinary culture because you're trying to figure out well, our past or you know, how our, what our culture grew out of what we used to be like. Well, they're still there. They're right there. They're still doing it. It's a remarkable culture culture to interface with. And they, not them, but the people who've lived with them made a stunning observation. They said they experience their spiritual life. They do not relate it externally and it's like oh that's different and we do that so much we do that so automatically that we have to enunciate what we are feeling otherwise it is not there yeah that exactly. it doesn't like have to enunciate it we, we go who are these people what's happening i don't get it but they are just feeling it and experiencing it without the need to describe it yeah but i i understand I don't know the need to describe what you're feeling or what you've experienced seems very involuntary to me. Like I, I'm not sure. I don't know. It's like you need to be validated by another human or something. You know, it's like, Oh, you need to, you need to know that someone else has felt that way too, or had that same experience in order to validate it as your own experience, which is odd, but um, I don't know, maybe just speaks to like our common humanity or something, but 
Uh, yeah. Oh, you also do have a creative writing degree from Colorado College. Not true. I don't have a creative writing degree. <laughs> I have a philosophy degree oh. um, in physics and geology as well. But yeah, yeah, no creative writing. Oh, you took classes. My mistake. Uh, I've never taken. I've never taken anything in the English department. Uh, oh. No, just philosophy is the humanities that I pursued. Yeah. Gotcha. Did a, I mean, obviously did a ton of writing in the philosophy department, but um, yeah, nothing creative. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the correction there. Okay. A lot of things coming up. You mentioned June. I'm going to go back to June. First Saturday in June, I'm going to see you in Kansas. Are I not? Uh, I was actually just emailing about that today. Not sure yet. Maybe. It's still a maybe. Oh, seems, really? it's, it's, it seems like we're, it seems like it's leaning towards yes. Uh, my entry into, you're referring to Unbound. I am. Um, yeah. Formerly known as DK. Um, uh, I don't know. I guess the world's most important gravel race in Kansas. Um, yeah. If I do it this year, it will most likely be the XL version, actually, which is the self-supported like 350-mile race. Not the not the two hundred. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, we'll just catch you up to the listeners. Pardon me, but as as Tony just said, probably the most important gravel race used to be called Dirty Kanza, and for politically correct reasons that I'm a little hazy on, they changed it to Unbound Gravel, June fifth, Emporia, Kansas. But they bumped it up, kind of like UTMB did. You know, they're kind of making this into this giant expo thing. They added another division, so you might do. The 350 miler. Yeah, I did the 200, I guess, two years ago, the last time they held the race, uh, which was great. And I actually, I would do the 200 again, but 350 is interesting in that it's self-supported. Um, it's basically a bikepacking style race, but it's just, the, the terrain is fast enough that you can do it single push without sleeping. You know, 24 hours is a reasonable amount of time to get the 350 miles done in. So, uh <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, yeah, let's 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 work on that adjective reasonable should we uh 350 miles on gravel reasonable to do that in one single push it's, hours it's fat they're fast roads buzz yeah um just going on previous winning times it's all they've all been or you know the top 10 has been in the 24-hour range for that for that race um so anyways, I don't know, uh, a longer push like that. I think it's a little more, at least like psychologically, it's more akin to a hundred miles on foot. Um, Interesting. And, you know, just like going like a night without sleep and, uh, pushing for that long. So that's interesting. Um, and I'm you're not, always just, you're always just, just, just quick, quick note to everyone. I am not signing up for the XL version. I'm going to stick with the 200 mile version. 200 miles, 200 miles is a great distance. When I did it, I mean, I've ridden 200 miles several times, but only once in a race. Um, but it's, it's really nice in that it's really hard. It's, it's kind of like a 50 miler in ultra running. <laughs> like, like, like it's, it's, it's really hard and you have to try hard to get to the end for sure. Like you're, you're challenged. Um, but it doesn't like, it doesn't ruin your week, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like a hundred, when you do, when you race a hundred miles on foot, like you're wrecked, it's, it goes beyond, it's not fun anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's really miserable. Um, and this, and I think, but with 200 miles on bike, it's not, it's nowhere near as hard as that. It's more just like, wow, I really did something. I'm really satisfied at the end, but I'm not, 
I don't know, physically compromised to where my whole next week or two weeks is worthless, you know? So. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I'd like to go co- do a compromise. I think uh, it's more like a hundred K run, right? That could be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, I think you're probably right. Yeah. hundred K the beauty of it, you know, like I said, it's hard to going hard, da, 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 da. but it's the daylight, the sun is shining the whole time and you take a shower and you're going to eat dinner. And so you're, your biorhythm is in sync. Well, if you're out there for 24 hours, your whole hormonal and endocrine balance is all messed up. This is true. Yeah. No, you, uh, you, yeah, you don't, you don't lose any sleep. Uh, your meals are the same. Yeah. 200 miles is great. Now you're talking me into the 200. (laughs) (laughs) 350 is dumb. Why would anyone do that? (laughs) Well, as an aside, uh, I've recently added Hillary Allen as our sometime co-host on the Fastest Known Podcast. Mm -hmm. She's going to be back for DK, a.k.a. Unbound. So it's, uh, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, I think, I think she did it the year that I did it as well. She She beat Davis Finney. Oh, uh, Taylor Finney. Taylor Finney. Oops. Sorry. I'm (laughs) exposing my generation here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh, beat uh, Taylor, uh, Davis Finney's son, Taylor Finney, who is a world pro team writer. Oh, yeah. I mean, Taylor, when he was at his peak, was one of the best riders in the world, for sure. But. He, he flatted six times, but still. Yeah, I think he was he was on his way towards retirement. I think he retired at the end of that year, anyways. But but yeah, it's a, but that's the thing you can that's the that's the cool thing about these races is even the two hundred, which has uh, technically has support. There's I think two or three stops along the way where your your crew can meet you and stuff. You have to be able to fix the flats yourself and all that, and take care of your bike, take care of yourself for you know fifty to sixty miles at a time. So. Uh, it's not, I wouldn't say you're as coddled as you are in a lot of, uh, ultra running foot races, even, you know, um, where you have an aid station every five or 10 miles, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. It's fun stuff. It's fun stuff. Well, multi-sport is good because if something breaks, which happens to me all the time now, I just switch. Yeah, right. that's that's always been my that's right. that's been my mo for the past six years, buds. Yeah, totally. You just go. I'm going over there. Oops, that's not working. Right. I'm going to go over there. I had shoulder surgery one year ago, almost today, and uh, so I was able to do a lot of things and couldn't start paddling again until uh, July. But then you kind of just move back and forth, do what body parts are still functioning. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know, and I think it's probably just a part of for me getting older, learning that how to recover, that I need more time to recover after big efforts. Um, and I don't know if it's, it's totally just a mindset shift. It's, it's kind of what I was referring to earlier of it's all the same to me. Like I don't really differentiate between the activities or among the activities. It's um, I'm out there for the same reason, I guess all the time, which is to, yeah. Well, you have a remarkable transition haven't you? You know, you're a famous ultra runner. You had sponsorship, New Balance, you know, picked you up and gave you some actual money instead of the, uh, you know, pocket change that people tended to get. You haven't been doing that much racing as we discussed. You're you're doing fantastic multi-sport. You're really enjoying the heck out of it. So how has this worked being a professional athlete? I would guess it's a little challenging because just speaking personally, you're an extremely sincere person extremely authentic you just want to do what you really truly believe in while at the same time to a certain degree you get paid to represent brands who want you to be seen 
Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the kernel right there, Buzz. <laughs> Is um, feeling like you are uh, remaining true, like maintaining integrity um, on all fronts, um, but still being able to pay the bills. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's what everyone goes through in life, though. Uh, it's a tough question. I don't have the answers to it. I, I struggle with it every day. Um, because there's so many, there's so many different ways to live a life, and there's so many ways to to uh, earn money, to to I don't know, have the lifestyle that you grow accustomed to, and I don't know, it's compromise, balance. Um, yeah, I just try. Uh, I don't know. I do my best. <laughs> it's it's hard. It's it's like, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's think, very. It's interesting for me to spectate as a friend of yours that you have this remarkable depth of sincerity and you truly love these sports and these activities. And yet, you know, the sponsor you know, needs to get their monies out of this. They need to see their brand name on your T-shirt or whatever. And they need to see your name up in the headline somewhere, which is a fair deal. This isn't selling out at all. It's just a, a fair trade. And I appreciate your comment of a second ago where you said it's a job. And everyone has the same. Everyone has the same issues. It's not like they're working for Save the Planet Foundation. They're probably doing something else, and they need to pay the bills. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, it does seem like uh, you are supposed to. It's different though, because a lot of people who have jobs are also there's not a, like a public facing side to their work. And with that comes an obligation and responsibility, I think. And that's the crux of being an ambassador or an athlete or an influencer or whatever you want to say. Um, And you have to, yeah, you have to make sure that you're meeting that duty, I guess, of uh, representing the people who are facilitating your lifestyle faithfully. And while not compromising your own values too much. Right. Right. And I think you've done a good job with that. Although, as you said, you probably have to work with that every day. Yeah. It's a constant. Yeah. (laughs) This is, I don't know. This is making me think of uh, some crazy stuff. Uh, When I was a freshman in college, I was, uh, I was driving back from shelf road with a buddy of mine. He was a senior, my climbing partner. And, um, and Radiohead came on. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them as a band, but they have this song "Karma Police." And oh yeah, and, oh yeah. wow, love Karma Police. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the like the main line in there is uh, "For a minute there, I lost myself." And my climbing partner Buddy, he's now a, a, philosoph- a professor uh, in the philosophy of science at Baylor. Um, he was like explaining to me like what he thought that lyric meant. And it's basically what we were just talking about how like the, uh, the existential man is like constantly fighting against not losing his identity and, and staying true to his values and that kind of thing, which, you know, that's the thing with song lyrics. You can take whatever you want out of them, but I don't know. This just made me think of that. Um, that was literally 20 years ago, but yeah, so, <laughs> I don't know. I think it holds true though. So, yeah. Did you ever c- consider 
finish, not now, but if you ever look back about, because you're, you're an intelligent person, you did well in school, you started a graduate program up in Montana in geology, actually, I think it was glaciology or Arctic ecology, uh, which was? Well, it's, com- it's complicated. Uh, I was actually, well, I was, in a, I was in a structural geology program up in Montana State, and then I was in the geography department uh, in alpine hydrology That's uh, here, here at CU, um, yeah, master's program. Did you ever look back and say, maybe I, I could have finished that and I could have worked in the science area? No. Nope. No. No. Like, no regrets about that. Gotcha. It's, I, I just, it just like was not the life for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, I got very lucky with the whole outdoor athlete running thing. And it was happening at the same time. And um, yeah, I wouldn't have been happy. I wouldn't have been happy. Yeah. Good. Well, you look very good now. You, I mean, what you're doing is just so much fun. And that and the endurance qualities you're showing, and personally, I relate to multi-sport. I'm sorry. I, I'm kind of biased on that topic, but I like the exploration. Yeah. I don't know. It's Ultimately, you're just out there like trying to uh, develop an honest relationship with yourself, I think. And that's what you're, that's what you're ultimately exploring. Uh, and the setting is just there to facilitate that, I think. <laughs> um, so, wow. yeah. Well, this might be a good time to close this conversation as I'm in stunned silence at that brilliant one-liner. You're out there trying to have an honest relationship with yourself. And the setting is just a way to facilitate that. Yeah, uh, that sums it up. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Buzz. <laughs> Tony, I very much look forward to our next conversation. I hope we see you out there in person. Same, likewise. <laughs>